Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. I'm Dan Hope, joined as always by Griffin Strom, and joined for the start of this week's episode by Ohio State Athletic Director Gene Smith, who has been kind enough to take some time to join us this week. Gene, thanks so much for being here. How have you been? Well, I'm doing great, Dan and Griffin. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. All good. Ohio State's year in sports just about over. I know there's NCAA track championships coming up this weekend, but uh, for the most part, the year has been wrapped up. Overall, when you think about the past year for Ohio State sports, just what kind of stands out to you as the biggest highlights? How do you think the year went as a whole? Uh, the, the year went great. You know, I uh, don't know if I have one particular highlight. I mean, there are so many you know, when you think about all of our sports and uh, just really, uh, really fortunate to have these quality athletes compete at the highest level. And uh, we're ending the year pretty good. Uh, we actually went into the spring sports, uh, number one in the Director's Cup, which evaluates the overall competitiveness competitiveness of your overall program compared to all division one schools and i don't think we end up number one uh, we're competing with stanford and, and texas in that mix and uh they're doing pretty good right now with the spring so um, i'm really proud of our kids they they uh, had a great competitive year in, in many many sports uh women's basketball was exciting as, as you all know and so it's just so many different ones it's just really really outstanding Obviously, a lot of a talk here in Columbus over the past six months has been about how does Ohio State football get back to beating Michigan? I'm curious, what have your conversations with Ryan Day been like, just as you've kind of talked about that specifically and turning things around? Yeah, I haven't really talked specifically about Michigan. Uh, you know, we we have a lot of other games before we, we get to them. So uh, right now, uh, you're focused more on developing uh, your your roster and developing your, your team and really trying to ensure that from a position point of view, you, you have your starters that, you know, you know who they're going to be and some you don't. And uh, but you also need to develop your depth. And so really talk more about uh, what we need to do to develop and, and get better and, and uh, staffing personnel management goes beyond the, t- the players. It's, it's all about the staff and, and uh, trying to make sure we have all those things in place. So uh, a lot of different issues uh, that we talk about relative to the organization. So we focus more on, you know, just getting ready for Indiana because that's our first contest. Uh, you know, the team up North game won't matter a whole lot if we go over and, and not do what we're supposed to do in, in uh, Bloomington. So we got to take care of business there. And Gene, obviously you got to take things one step at a time, as you just kind of mentioned there, but I guess uh, just, you know, how confident are you in, in Ryan Day, the staff uh, around him and everything like that, that, you know, the Buckeyes can can turn things around in this rivalry after uh, a couple losses here in a row to Michigan? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I, you know, everybody's so focused on, you know, just one game. And, uh, you know, we were – basically one point away from being in a national championship game. And I think had we won, uh, got that two points we needed to convert and, and ultimately uh, play TCU, who I feel confident we would have performed against well and won a national championship. I'm not so sure about all this chatter. So <laughs> at the end of the day, I, I want to win the biggie. I want to win the natty, whatever it takes to get there. I'm going, I'm all in for it. So, 
uh, we were in position to do that and, and uh, you know, really proud of our guys. They, they had a chance there. There's some some questionable moments in that game. We won't get into it, but at the end of the day, uh, we had a shot and uh, I'm really proud that they, they put themselves in position to, to possibly want to win the CFP. And Gene, uh, you know, you talked about winning that national championship. Obviously, a big part of that in the sport of football is that that quarterback position. And of course, you guys are replacing, you know, a two time Heisman Trophy finalist uh, this year in CJ Stroud as the starter. Um, you know, how, how much you know, obviously that's one of the, the biggest tasks kind of ahead of of Ryan and company uh, on the staff. I guess what have your conversations been like with him? And I guess maybe any of your own your own thoughts watching uh, Kyle and Devin kind of compete for that job on, uh, you know, the, the caliber that they're going to be able to potentially continue here at the quarterback position at Ohio State. Yeah, you know, that's that's Ryan's wheelhouse. I mean, it's uh, really something that we've talked about a lot and also, uh, you know, was, was involved in this uh, play calling situation and, and making sure that, you know, he's involved the right way there. But very confident in these guys, you know, they're – they're really talented, you know. It's so funny. You, 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 when you have a CJ Stroud, you, you, you tend to not focus on these backups who came out of high school, uh, highly rated and highly successful. And uh, obviously, they, they've been practicing uh, the entire time behind CJ against uh, great competition in practice. And so, uh, we're not talking about guys who are. You know, just coming on and, and trying to play for the first time, really, because they played against good competition in practice for a number of number of times. So I feel good about them. I'm, I'm excited about them and uh, I feel confident in Ryan, as usual. Um, he's you know, he's a quarterback coach. And and uh, what's really our blessing is we have so much talent around us, this QB. So. You know, you, you don't you sure there's games where the QB has to win these games, but there's other games where ultimately he just has to distribute. Obviously, it was a rough year for Ohio State men's basketball, but you've consistently stood behind Chris Holtman. What makes you believe that Chris Holtman can turn things around and get this program to that standard where you want it to be? Yeah, I think uh, Chris is still um, the person that we hired and, and did so well in his early years. He's a good teacher. First and foremost, I mean, all of us can sit back and think about previous years to this one and think about things that were done by players who, you know, were uh, playing above their capacity uh, because he put them in position to win and he helped teach them things that allowed them to win. And so he's a good teacher, first and foremost, Uh, but we needed to adjust. And this year, uh, going into it, I knew it was going to be one of those adjustment years. We needed to get our roster right. You know, we, we nobody thought that Malachi would emerge like he did. It kind of reminds me back to when Michael Conley emerged during that championship season. But we still had a lot coming back. This this one, we had a great freshman class coming in and we needed to get them on the court. Um, if we didn't get them on the court, you know, the, the three of us would be sitting here talking about their transferring. Right. You know, at the end of the day, when the season was over, they'd be looking back at their minutes and trying to decide their future. But they played a lot, did a great job at the end. Chris put them in position to win. I think we saw the best of him um, towards the end of the season with that eight or nine game stretch. And so anyway, I I have a lot of confidence in Chris and his staff and and, uh, really, really anxious to see these guys. uh, I'm going to get a chance in the summertime to see them play pickup against uh, 
our players who come back from overseas. I can't wait to, to see the David Lighties and the fellow hunters and the Ron Lewis's and all those guys uh, compete against these guys. Obviously, oh, you go ahead, Griffin. Yeah, Gene, you, you talked about, you know, kind of knowing going into last year, you know, that it might be kind of a rebuilding year, right? Because of the roster construction, everything like that. I guess I'm wondering, you know, this year, obviously, you, you know, you still have to see those those practice sessions and, and make those evaluations, especially with the, you know, the the new guys coming in, the transfers and the freshmen and things like that. But uh, do you have any, you know, feeling or, or expectations um, that, you, that you could gauge at this point in terms of what kind of season people could expect? Or is this another, you know, another year where you have to take another step? Or is this a, a year where the team could be, you know, a, a top 15 program? Yeah, you know, you you want to be that Griffin. Well said. You, know, you want to be a, an opportunity, have an opportunity for this team to be one of those top fifteen teams. And and the main thing is, you know, even if you're not, you want to get, want to be in the hunt. I mean, you can be in the hunt, and not be top fifteen. And so you want to be in the hunt. And, and so with so many games uh, and so much national competition and so many things you have to watch. Uh, at the end of the day, you want to be in the hunt for the Big Ten championship and you want to be in the NCAA tournament. And then with the NCAA tournament, as you well know, it, it, you, you got to get lucky and get that right bracket. Right. You got you got to get that right roadmap. And so uh, Chris is aware. And that's what uh, that's always been uh, part of our, our goals is to be in the hunt for the championship and then uh, and then ultimately getting the dance and chase. And so uh, I feel good about that. I feel confident. Um, you know, the, th- the three of us could sit here and go through each player and uh, talk about their talents and skills and, and, and actually talk about, uh, you know, who's coming in. And I really think the battle edition was major, major. You know, he's a big, strong, experienced man that's going to bring some maturity to that team. And so feel good about where we are. Good question. You, you mentioned uh, being an exciting year for women's basketball. And we really saw this spring. It seemed like women's college basketball really had a moment, a, a boom in popularity with Ohio state having the year that it just had. How do you feel like Ohio state can capitalize on that surge in popularity, not just on the court, but you know, off the court as well in terms of generating more interest for the program and, and building more revenue off the program. Yeah, I think, well, I think Danny, the, the nationally uh, women's basketball and women's sports in general, you know, look at the softball, softball tournament right now. It's getting an unbelievable attention uh, with, with Oklahoma and Tennessee and all the others. So um, I really feel like uh, the team that Kevin has coming back is exciting. Uh, they have great leadership. Um, you know, that that excitement that we all enjoyed is is, is uh, only because you have an exciting team and you have good players and you can win. And, and so I think uh, we were in that position. Uh, he added some unbelievable uh, freshmen and some transfers. So really excited to see him. And I think for us, it's just making sure that based upon the schedule that we do a great job and uh, trying to market the program and get people to attend and support the team. Yeah, Gene, uh, you recently endorsed the the Student Athlete Level Playing Field Act. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, a, a bill to you know help create the you know federal NIL uh, legislation and things like that, which you've been advocating for um, for years. Uh, how optimistic are you that 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 will you know come to fruition? And, and maybe what timeline do you think as well that could that could happen? Yeah, I, I really am appreciative of uh, Congressman Kerry uh, stepping forward and, and creating that bill and getting it in the mix. Um, as we know, as you know, there's a, a couple more that have emerged from different areas. And 
uh, we need federal legislation. And, you know, it's hard to predict what's going to happen on the Hill. Uh, it really is. And so what we've been focused more is on, you know, our, stro- our structure, our program, uh, working closely with our collectives who's doing a marvelous job and, and trying to make sure we do things locally the right way. And I'm hopeful that, you know, over the next couple years, if not this year, over the next couple years, we, we get something federally. I think we need something. Um, this, this, this summer might be challenging. It might be challenging for that to happen. Uh, but the fact that it's, uh, it's been positioned by uh, uh, Senator K- uh, Kerry uh, puts it in a great position to be considered. So I'm glad it's there and uh, we'll see how it rolls. It seems like you all at, at Ohio State just feel a lot better about where your NIL efforts are now than maybe you did a year ago. How much better do you feel like Ohio State is positioned to be competitive in that NIL space than maybe you were early on? Yeah, I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things, uh, uh, Dan, you know, change management, uh, something that over my years that um, I've really uh, embraced in a great way. Change is always in front of us. So how we respond to change is critical. And I think at the beginning, uh, no one actually knew uh, exactly what we were going to be dealing with. Uh, we knew what we wanted to happen. Uh, we knew that it was a good thing uh, for NIL to be in place, but how do you make it happen and what emerges? And the fact that we, uh, I think, as an association, provided an opportunity for our student athletes uh, through NIL, but we also entered into it advisors slash agents. And no one could project their involvement uh, in this process. And, and so I think over time, we've learned that um, our collectives emerged and they've learned uh, more about themselves and how they want to operate. And I think we're to your point, we're much better now and feel much better about it because we went through that learning curve, uh, that change management part. And, you know, sometimes in life, you have to move slow to move fast. And, uh, you know, I was trying to help our team be patient. You know, sometimes with change, you just have to be patient. And, and you might take some hits, you might take some lumps, but you have to be patient uh, when you don't have everything tied down. And so we were now that, you know, we have clarity and, and those type of things uh, on, on how we can operate. I uh, feel we feel really good about where we are. Great question. You've often ca- you, you've often called this NIL space the wild, wild west. Does it still feel that way to you or do you feel like things have started to stabilize a little bit? No, it's still the wild, wild west because there's factors that we don't control. Uh, there's factors that we you know, are, are unaware of. There's things that's going to hit us that we don't know what's going to hit us. And so uh, and then you, you just have because we don't have federal standards and because the NCAA is limited in what they can do from an enforcement point of view um you have all types of things happening you know i think there's i might be this number but i think there's 18 states now that have different nil laws i mean you, you look at texas you look at arkansas you look at missouri look at all these places have different laws and so from that perspective yes it's the wild wild west and, and things are still emerging and um you know, you watch what Texas A&M is doing with their 12th man club. And, you know, they just hired one of our our, our guys, uh, James, James, Jimmy Wood. And uh, so um, the reality is uh, yeah, it's still the wild, wild west to some degree. 
Gina, maybe outside of, of NIL legislation and stuff we've been talking about, uh, any other changes you feel like need to happen in college sports right now? Well, I think, uh, you know, the we have to keep talking uh, as ADs and as presidents about, you know, whether or not this model that we've all enjoyed over time uh, will change. Um, you know, we have interest groups, pressure groups, politicians, lawyers, everybody outside uh, pushing for a different model. Uh, you have the Johnson versus NCAA case in California, in, uh, Philadelphia, uh, around student athletes being employees. Uh, you have a lawsuit against the USC and um, Pac-12 and the NCAA, I think by the National Labor Relations Board, asserting that student athletes are employees and they're joint employees through the Pac-12 and the NCAA. And, and so then you, then you have what we were just talking about, different states and politicians feeling differently about things. So um, I don't know where we're going to go, Griff. That's one of those change management things where we just have to be patient, but be aware that our model could change. You know, our student athletes may become employees. So we have an internal group that's having conversations in the Big Ten. Um, I want to say we've had maybe four uh, conversations as ADs, you know, informal meetings where we've talked about different models. You have the uh, California um, student, Af- student Athlete Protection Act, I believe, that just passed the General Assembly out there where 50 percent of the revenue has to go through, go to your student athletes. And so, I mean, you just have all these things. And so we've been having conversations. I know the SEC has been having those same conversations. I just think they think they just had that in their meetings uh, this past week. So and we can't talk between conferences. That's the other thing. Uh, We lost that ability uh, to collaborate uh, with our colleagues uh, around these type of issues. The uh, Austin case um, uh, around in our um, around. uh, I forgot the, the academic bonuses that we have an antitrust piece right now that we are limited in, in our conversation. So it's just so many different things, Griff. I, the model will change. Uh, I wish I had a crystal ball, uh, but we're doing our best to be ready for it. One hot topic around college football in the past year has been this idea of grass versus turf fields. And I know, you know, the NFLPA has come out in, in favor of grass fields. And I know because of that, one question I get a lot from Ohio State fans is, is Ohio Stadium going to go back to grass? Obviously, you guys just put new turf in a year ago. But have you considered the possibility at all that maybe Ohio Stadium should go back to grass in the no, future? No, I haven't. I haven't really, Dad. You know, we, um, you know, we, we, the Ohio Stadium is an unbelievable facility. Uh, it's iconic. And one of the reasons we changed the artificial turf uh, was to make it more usable. And, you know, it's, I don't know, I think uh, we have five concerts in the stadium this summer. We just had, uh, you know, the George Strait concert and you know, Chris Stapleton and that place broke records. And so we have four more coming up in August. So um, I, I really feel like our uh, injury prevention program and our sports sciences is the best there is. And so we're going to continue to make sure that we focus on that and, and preparing our student athletes for whatever turf they play on. And uh Hopefully, uh, those surfaces that don't have the e-layer piece underneath it uh, will add will add that over time, and, and hopefully, people will replace their artificial turf 
uh, more frequently, uh, then you you mitigate that. So um, haven't thought about it yet, Dan. Uh, it may come to us. It's always a possibility. Uh, but at this point in time, it's, it's something that uh, we, we're not prepared to do. You you mentioned having five concerts this summer. Like, is having events like that important, or even more important in a year where you're only going to have six home football well, games? It's, it's rather it's six or eight in football. <clears throat> you have a multi million dollar uh, iconic facility sitting there, and so you can say to yourself, you know, we're only going to use it for football. I'm not so sure that's the best use of a you know. 200 plus million dollar facility and, and uh, sitting right in the middle of, of a great state and a great city. And so uh, we have concerts um, because they have such a great economic impact in our community. Um, phenomenal economic impact in our community. And it, we, it does the same thing that we do in football. I know, you know, we, 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 at the end of the day, we focus on the game, but what we do through athletics is, is we bring communities together. We bring, bring people together. When you come to a concert, a football game, or even a special event in the shoe or, or the shot or whatever, you're not coming to have something you walk away with. It's not like going to Kmart. Okay? You're coming with a passion, with an emotion, and you're coming for the social experience. And, you know, so for us, you know, anytime we could use our venues, uh, in our community to bring community together, we're going to do that. And I, you know, I, I used to track how many tours we, we give, uh, of the shoe and all of our other facilities. I don't track it anymore. It's just so many of them, but I, I, this is what we do. We bring community together. So, uh, yeah, we're going to do concerts and, you know, we, we actually just hosted a uh, Sunday night, the, all the big 10 and some other schools, uh, uh safety directors uh, they have their uh, conference going on and they were in our loge and so you had about 50 of them from across the country um so it's just a lot that we do so we're going to always do that and gene obviously the the new you know big 10 tv deal is set to you know start here this season we've been seeing the the kickoff times and the networks announced for some of these games and things like that what are you you know looking forward to but with that partnership kind of bringing to the Big Ten in Ohio well, State. I'm excited, Griff, and, and uh, it's, it's really going to be fun, you know, to, to have platforms where we're going to get um, probably the best national attention um, of all schools and, and conferences. Uh, it's phenomenal. Uh, when you think about what Fox did, um, a lot of people were, you know, struggling with Fox when we first did the Big Ten Network and brought Fox on, but they've really emerged exceptionally well, particularly with their big noon kickoff. And so we'll have Fox and then you'll have CBS, which we haven't had in the past around football in particular. We've had them with basketball. Now you got a time slot that's phenomenal. And then you got NBC that's going to do the primetime games. And so, uh, and we're in the top three media markets in the country. And so when you when you add that in and put it all together, more exposure, more exposure for schools like ours has, you know, been a leader in exposure for so long. And so every year we have two or three of the top watch games um, every season. And so now uh, might provide us an opportunity to get in that four to five range. Uh, so we're excited about it. And I know uh, ESPN reported a few weeks ago that, you know, Ohio State and some other schools in the Big Ten were kind of pushing back 
you know, with the, the networks and things like that about playing those uh, night games in November. Um, and I, I know you guys, you know, still ended up uh, agreeing to play that Michigan State one uh, in prime time and night at the shoe. Um, so I guess if you could explain, you know, the any objections that you guys have to those and, and why you did agree to play one this year and what the the future for, for those might yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, Griffin. Uh, every school in the league, when we started the Fox relationship and Big Ten Network deal, uh, every school in the league uh, decided what their individual tolerances would be. Uh, Friday night games, for example. We will only play a Friday night game uh, in Columbus at Ohio State if we're uh, on fall break, for example. Um, others, obviously, you've seen other Friday night games at other schools that don't have that restriction. Uh, there are schools in our league who, like us, who always said after the first Saturday in November, we will not play night games at home. And so that's been our policy for a long time. And uh, um, and the reason for that for me, and maybe different for my, my teammates and colleagues at other schools, is that, you know, I always think about that couple in Canton, Ohio, who's 70-something years old, season ticket holders. And uh, we all we really create a problem for them already, how we announce our game times. Uh, but for them to have to make a decision to come to a night game and, you know, the the, the week, the Saturday before Thanksgiving, um, you know, I just I just would prefer to take that burden off of them. And now they, you know, they normally they can come to a noon game or 3.30 kick and get back home as opposed to trying to get a hotel room. So uh, that's been our rationale, just one of them, our rationale for not doing that. We will not do it in the future at home. Uh, we might do it away. You know, if a colleague calls from another school and said, hey, um, you know, would you be willing to play a night game at our place? I We have to make that call. Both athletic directors have to agree on that. And so usually I would, do, I would talk to Ryan and see, you know, if we're, interested in doing that and we'll say yes or no but it depends on who it is where it is and what time our team might get back that always plays a, a role in the they're we're playing uh the third the second saturday in november and we're somewhere and our team doesn't get back to three or four o'clock in the morning that might be a problem i, I know there's been some consternation from big 10 fans as well about this idea that there's going to be games only on peacock Obviously, streaming is becoming a bigger and bigger player in, in TV. Just kind of what's your thought on this idea of streaming only football games potentially coming for all? Yeah, you know, we we have, um, you know, eight contests in the package that will be peacocked. And so uh, we had to had to get into it to some degree. Uh, we were not going into it, you know, wholesale, but we have to get into it. And so I think having a platform like NBC as for a linear partner and then they control the Peacock part of it gives us a chance to test the waters in that. And and so I'm excited about it. Um, I worry about it, like everyone, that there's certain parts of Ohio uh, where Wi-Fi is a, a, a challenge, where streaming is a challenge. So, uh, But at least people know uh, that those games are coming and they can plan for them. Uh, don't anticipate it happening in football this year. Might it happen in basketball? Sure. Uh, you know, we'll have well, a large majority of our contests will be uh, linear, but you know we might end up with some Peacock games in basketball, so we have to be ready for that. And, and as we play across conferences, we need to be aware 
that there may be some conferences where that's what that's majority of their television deal. You know, so if you go out west, that might be it. What are your early impressions of Tony Petiti in his first few weeks as the new? Big oh, he's Tech great, Dan. You know, I I really like him. He's uh, he's uh, really being intentional. Um, you know, Tony's experienced in the athletic space. Um, you know, he knows our space and. You know, being in the, um, Major League Baseball for as long as he was and, and then working with CBS uh, on the men's basketball tournament uh, where I think I first established my relationship with him when I was uh, at Iowa State years ago. Um, he's, he's just an outstanding uh, leader. Uh, so he's doing things the right way. He's being patient. He knows our space, making some moves, making some moves. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited about it. I think he's going to do well. And Gene, uh, you know, obviously with USC and UCLA set to, you know, join the Big Ten in, in not too long, um, do you think that the Big Ten should explore any, you know, further expansion beyond those two programs? Uh, and, and if so, I guess what criteria do you think should be considered when you're kind of vetting yeah, those Griffin, candidates? Uh, most people don't know. We, we kind of do that every year. You know, it's, we've been doing that for years. Uh, every year we, you know, have it on our agenda somewhere in the year. I mean, Delaney was a master at that. And uh, uh, so we always had that conversation and watching the landscape and, and evaluating whether we should expand. At this point, we're not looking at that. We had a discussion about that earlier this year, and we decided that we're just going to pause and, and integrate USC and UCLA. We did look at it uh, and looked at schools across the country. And, you know, our criteria, um, and there's a list of them, I can't go through them all, but uh, obviously, we, we look at AAU schools uh, first and foremost, and uh, then we, we obviously look at um, you know whether or not they bring value uh, from a lot of different reasons, but mostly television. Uh, we look at the value and whether or not uh, that school um, fits our, our profile relative to how they operate. You know, we, we, we want to make sure that they're an environment that we can trust. And so... Um, there's so many other factors that's underneath that. Uh, travel was a big one for us when we talked about USC and UCLA. But, you know, in today's world, we charter so much. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like our recruiting. We, it's easier for us to go recruit in Europe sometimes. And so it's uh, travel's a, a lot easier than it used to be. So anyway, um, uh, yeah, we always look at it. We'll probably look at it again next year at some point. Uh, but I don't see us doing anything at this point in time. What is it like kind of preparing for a future where a year from now, USC and UCLA are going to be in the Big Ten and the college ball playoff is going to be 12 teams, but you still have one more year. Yeah, you know, you, you got to keep things in front of you. Um, there's no question about it. You know, you you got to plan for the future, but keep things uh, in your immediate future in front of you. And, you know, uh, I really feel good about uh, where we are and going into, you know, the 23-24 uh, season, uh, but we are planning for the future. Yeah, we have different working groups. Our in the league is our senior women administrators and, and some conference office staff uh, talking about scheduling you know, for soccer, volleyball, all those sports. And we've had conversations around football, and and so we're really um, just really planning for that as best we can. Planning for a college football playoff. Um, I'm blessed to be on a focus group um, for the CFP where we're talking about operations and how things will work in the first rounds and the quarterfinals and 
you know, all those type of logistical issues, uh, hotels, whether the bands go, all those type of things. So um, it's uh, you just got to got to plan for it. But no, you still have to your point, Dan, we still got to execute this year and we're not we're not leaving that behind. Well, Gene, we want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us on the show this week. Is there anything else that you want people to know? Any other parting messages? Yeah, you know, I, we athletes? always talk about the athletic part, but I, you know, I'm really proud of our student athletes um, academically. Uh, we had our best year ever uh, relative to our academic performance rate. So, really proud of our kids. We're averaging well north of 990 uh, when you can get a thousand and. And 95% of our graduates uh, this past year either had a job or are going to grad school um, or they're going pro. And, you know, that's that's the measurement. At the end of the day, when they leave our little cocoon, you know, what are they going to do next? You know, as their parents would say, how are you going to get them off of my monthly payroll? And uh, so I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, we had 95 percent of them uh, are already on their way with their next level, next chapter in life. And uh, we'll continue to work with the others, uh, that small percentage. You're always going to have like two percent that's going to do that gap year thing. So I don't know what that is. They're going to go into the mountains and find themselves, I guess. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm really proud of those two two stats. Uh, so thank you uh, for the conversation. Appreciate you, Griffin. Appreciate you, Dan. All right, Griffin, what what stood out to you most about that conversation that we just had with Gene? Yeah, I think there was a, a lot of good stuff we just got from Gene. I, I might have to you know go back into it a little bit to uh, to pick out some of the stuff I, I might have missed. I, I certainly thought it was pretty interesting hearing him talk about uh, you know what we mentioned with the ESPN Pete Thamel report about the teams kind of pushing the teams like Ohio state, Penn state pushing back on the November night games with the new TV deal and stuff like that. And he kind of, you know, uh, extrapolated on that and talked about how different teams kind of have different, you know, things they're, they're not willing to do in, in that regard. Uh, and he said that Ohio state will not play November night games past. What was it? The, the first Saturday, Dan of the, of the month uh, at home moving forward and, and, and saying that, you know, maybe they will, on the road, but it seems like they will certainly be putting their foot down in that regard in terms of home games at night in November moving forward. How about you, Dan? Yeah, I think that was definitely one of the big things for me as well. I mean, certainly evident that Ohio state made a compromise there in terms of playing that game uh, against Michigan state as a home night game. Uh, You know, we, we, you know, we saw it last week when the schedules were announced that, you know, Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State are going to open the season on Peacock in the first three weeks. Gene said he does not anticipate that Ohio State will have a Peacock game this year. I'd imagine that's some of a compromise there. That, you know, everybody, everybody's got to compromise a little bit in order to make this new TV deal work. And from Ohio State's end of that, it's agreeing to play a home night game later in November than it than it typically would. So Ohio State doing what it needs to do to make that work this year, but clearly are not going to continue to be willing to do that every year. Now, you know, we've talked about it a little before. I, I think some of this could end up being a moot point next year because when USC and UCLA join the conference, it's going to be easier to schedule November night games in places that are not typically cold in November. So I I mean, you figure 
USC UCLA. That game is probably going to be on NBC every single year as a, as a night game there in November. I I also anticipate that in the near future we're going to probably see Ohio State playing either US UCLA or USC in November. Uh, I think it's probably something that uh, whether it's Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, you're you're probably going to see those those power teams often end up you know, one of them's playing USC and one of them's playing UCLA in November. That way you can fill those late November time slots with marquee games without having to uh, actually play those games in, in cold weather in, in November. And Dan, you, you mentioned USC and UCLA. Obviously, that's a you know massive change for the Big Ten on the horizon. But you know, I, I also thought it was really interesting hearing Gene kind of say, uh, you know, because you, you think um, fans are probably thinking, you know, either conferences are looking to expand or they're maybe they're not looking to expand. But you know, Gene kind of saying there that you know we're always keeping our eye on on the landscape, and you know, especially with what other major conferences may be looking to do as well, and and just all the the rapid changes on that front. Uh, here the last couple of years and things like that. And the, uh, the list of criteria that they have as well would have been interesting to, to hear him go through all of those point, points, Dan, although I think we could probably, you know, guess what some of those might be. Uh, any, any takeaways from you on that topic? Yeah, well, you know, he, he did say, you know, we, we do this every year, which I think it's interesting to hear him say that because, you know, that USC UCLA, I mean, I still remember I was on vacation I'm walking onto a plane and I see that tweet from John Wilner and I'm like, what? Like USC and <laughs> UCLA are joining the Big Ten and I think you guys did a podcast about it without me. But, uh, you know, that that came out of left field. Like nobody saw that coming. And so to hear him say, we, we do that every year. You know, I, I mean, I think that's an acknowledgement that even though, a big, even though no expansion in the Big Ten is imminent, it doesn't mean it's not going to happen again. You know, I think it's a matter of the Big Ten is going to be selective. They feel like they can be selective, that, you know, they're not going to just take Washington and Oregon because they can. They're, they're, they're really looking for teams, or schools that are going to add value to the Big Ten. And I think clearly they felt USC and UCLA added value because of that. Los Angeles TV market driving up the TV deals. I I think right now it's not as obvious who the next teams would be. That would I mean I think there's one obvious team that would bring value to me. That'd be Notre Dame. I mean I think Notre Dame brings obvious value on, on the football front. You know whether Notre Dame would be willing to do that is a different question. But to me, like, I think if you're talking about who would bring obvious value to the Big Ten, Notre Dame would be number one. I, I tend to believe that the, if they continue to expand, I think they're more likely to target teams looking to leave the ACC than they are to look, look to continue adding West Coast schools. I, you know, I, I don't. I cannot say that I sit here and envision a future where where Clemson is in the Big Ten. Like uh, that would surprise me. You know, Florida State in the Big Ten would surprise me too. Do I think we could see a future where North Carolina and Virginia are in the Big Ten? I, I think that's possible. I think you look at again some of those criteria. I mean, criteria that were explicitly stated there by Gene. You know, AAU schools; those are two very you know high academic performing institutions. 
and then, you know, criteria of it could make, I mean, obviously, you know, not football powers, but, you know, we've seen North Carolina improve in football every year. They are basketball powers, so they would definitely bring some obvious value there, basketball. And not just basketball, but a lot of other sports. Those are, those are schools that have had success across a lot of a wide variety of sports. So if I were to project right now, like who will eventually be the next teams to join the Big Ten, my guess would be it's going to be teams that are in the ACC now if the ACC eventually does break up as you can see some of these schools are looking at. But I don't think that's imminent anytime soon. So I think, you know, right now they're probably looking at 16 and then it becomes a matter of, okay, well, if the SEC makes another move, do we need to counter off another move of our own? And Dan, in a conversation like this with a person of, you know, Gene Smith's stature and, and his obvious, you know, position at Ohio State and, and in the Big Ten and college sports in general, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of maybe trying to, to make sense of what seems like a very tangled web with NIL and, and all of that kind of craziness going on. But, you know, he, he, he said it's, it's still the wild, wild west. And then when you, you hear him start to rattle off all the, the lawsuits that are going on and, you know, the, some of the, the antitrust stuff and just the the difference in policies and legislation state by state. He said it was what, 18 different uh, NIL kind of policies, uh, you know, going state by state there. And that, that, you know, to me, that just points to just how convoluted it it really is and and how hard it must be to kind of keep up with all that stuff and kind of keep a competitive edge when uh, there's, you know, you're playing by different rule sets uh, than than other states and, and other big time programs that you're competing against you know, to win games and win these recruiting battles. Yeah, I think we certainly heard an acknowledgement from Gene Smith that he expects the college athletics model to change. How exactly it will change, he doesn't know yet. We, nobody knows yet. But, you, you know, you, you can see that acknowledgement that eventually it's not going to just be NIL to the players. Eventually, the, the, the college athletes are going to start getting a, a significant and actual piece of a pie, where that be, you know, TV deals, ticket revenues, all that. I mean, I certainly believe that we are headed in that direction. Eventually, the NCAA is going to try to slow it as much as it can. But as he mentioned, you, you know, you have legal action in California already, that's trying to drag things in that direction. And so, uh, you know, I think the good news for Ohio State fans is you can hear Gene talking about how they're already preparing for that. They they're, they're, they 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 know that that something could be coming, and those conversations are already ongoing. And so, uh, you know, you would expect that Ohio State's not going to be caught blindsided if if something like that happens. Obviously, as we talked about with Gene, you know, it, there was a lot of uncertainty when NIL started, and I think you know you know there's been a lot of acknowledgments from Ohio State, whether explicitly or not, that you know they they didn't start out as strongly as they needed to in terms of being aggressive in the NIL space and competing with some of what other schools are doing. But I, you know, I, I feel like there's definitely more confidence now in where they stand. You know, you know, Gene mentioned, you know, he's pleased with what the the collectives are doing. And so I, I think, I think Ohio state feels a lot better about where it sits right now in terms of its ability to compete on the NIL front than it did at this time a year ago. Now, as Gene said, like Gene still thinks there should be federal legislation. Like that's o- Ohio state is still very much in the camp of they want more 
NIL regulations. And and they should because before NIL, Ohio State was, you know, always a dominant team in the recruiting trail and it still is, but it's had to adapt in order to remain that way. If you take a you know, if you you're not taking away NIL, but if you if you limit how NIL can be used in in recruiting aspects, I mean, that, that's probably only going to benefit Ohio State. Even if Ohio State's NIL programs are stronger now, you know, Ohio State, just in terms Did of its on-field success, in terms of its resources, in terms of its reputation, was already at that elite level. And so if you can limit how much NIL can have an impact on recruiting, then it just bolsters the other advantages that Ohio State has. Yeah, Dan, and this whole kind of, you know, pay for play conversation and, and, you know, like we talked about with Gene kind of looking into that crystal ball and, you know, realizing that the the model is, is likely to change in the future. It just made me think of, uh, you know, something we wrote about last August, which was, uh, you know, after the the whole extremely lucrative uh, Big Ten TV media rights deal uh, was struck and everything like that. Uh, we heard from CJ Stroud at the time and Gene Smith, I believe, on the same day. And, you know, CJ, of course, you know, was asked if he thinks that, you know, players should get, you know, a slice of that, that money directly. And he said, uh, basically, yes. And, and Gene Smith uh, was asked about it too. And at the time, just cause I'm, I'm reading the, you know, the quote here from our piece, he said, frankly, they're already getting a piece of the television revenue and, you know, kind of was, was pushing back on that a little bit at the time. Now, of course, things are changing so quickly in college sports in general. Um, but, you know, it, it also made me think of, uh, just this this past week, I know Nick Saban made some headlines uh, with what he was saying at the annual SEC meeting or whatever the the formal title for for that gathering was. Dan and and he was just saying that you know he sees the you know the NIL situation and landscape evolving into that you know kind of more pay for play model as well, and and he thinks that you know it'll only lead to more disparity in terms of you know the top programs versus lesser programs, let's say competitively. Uh, in college football. So just uh, those are some things I was that came to my mind, Dan, when when, uh, you know, he was talking about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I do feel like that's eventually the future of college. I mean, again, right now, like right now, the conferences can't even do that within NCAA rules if they wanted to, because you're not allowed to directly pay the players. And so, you know, right now it doesn't work that way. But I, I, I do think that eventually, as the model of college sports changes, that that, that is going to be part of the future, that, that players are going to get a direct cut of that television revenue. And how that will change college sports, you know, it, it it's too early to say because, you know, it, 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 it's, 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 it's just hard to predict right now how exactly that's going to change college sports. You know, how will that change Ohio State's ability to fund 36 sports? I mean, it, I mean that's, those are going to be real questions that have to be asked down the line. They're not, they're not, they can't be asked yet because they're not, we're not at that point. But, you know, I, I do think, you know, college sports are going to continue to change. And I mean, I think there's a lot of things that could continue to change. I mean, you know, we've talked about it with Gene before about that possibility of could college football break off from the NCAA and do its own thing. I think that's still a possibility. I mean, I think there's still a lot of people who think that eventually we could get to a point of two real super conferences, you know, the SEC and the Big Ten. And do they become the AFC and the NFC of 
college football and does this thing really start to resemble more of an NFL model or a premier league of teams, so to speak. I, I think all those things are on the table. We're still a long way away from all of those things. Uh, so maybe the more prescient point is, you know, the fact that like we talked about at the end with, with Gene, that, you know, a year from now, USC and UCLA are going to be in the big 10, that college football playoff is going to be 12 teams and things are about to change in a big way, but Ohio State still has one more year. The big 10 still has one more year under the current model. And, you know, obviously as we talked about, uh, you know, Gene has very high expectations for what Ohio State can accomplish is, he said he wants the football team to win the national championship, and he wants the, the basketball team to be in the hunt for Big Ten title. Yeah, I was just going to say, let's you know get into a, a little bit of the uh, kind of you know the on field type of stuff here that we got into with Gene as well. Uh, we hit him with the the Michigan question, Dan, uh, early on there, and I think it, you know a little part of him seemed like you know we we lost to Michigan, but. You know, the team wasn't, you know, had a, had quite a good year regardless of that anyway. So I, I definitely sensed some of that, uh, you know, maybe a little bit of irritation there from Gene in terms of just, you know, Ohio State still could have won the national championship last year despite having lost to Michigan. And I know he also said, you know, we're, we're, we're gunning for the the big one. You know, he, he wants to to win the, the natty and things like that, too. And, and also said, Dan, that he hasn't necessarily had super specific conversations with Ryan Day uh, about Michigan uh, you know, this off season so far. Yeah. I mean, I'm asking those questions because my feeling is that's the questions. A lot of our listeners would be asking Gene too. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's pretty clear that, I mean, the, the number one topic in Ohio state for the last six months in terms of athletics has been, is Ohio state football going to beat Michigan? So it, it is the, the big question, you know, whether you like it or not, that that's what hovers over, everything in Ohio state football is you got to beat Michigan. So he, like he's, you know, he's exactly right. What they said, they, they were one point away from beating Georgia and probably winning a national championship. You know, as you know, he, he alluded to uh, some things that happened in that game. I would imagine one of those things was probably uh, the non-targeting call on Marvin Harrison jr. Getting knocked out of a game uh, that certainly we, we heard Ryan day talk about this spring that he was uh he did not shy away from questioning uh, the, the officiating on that. And so I think certainly uh, Ohio State uh, still has some sour feelings about uh, the way that that Peach Bowl unfolded because I think they felt, I think they they felt, I mean, Gene felt, I think Ryan Day felt, I think the Buckeyes felt like they were good enough to win the national championship and, and they, they came so close. But I think they know like they had that opportunity in their fingers. And, and, and Gene is right. If Ohio State won the national championship, if Ohio State beat Georgia won the national championship, the narrative would be different right now. I mean, we've done enough polls on 11 Warriors to know that there's still a segment of the fan base that would still be hyper-focused on the losses to Michigan, even if Ohio State had won the national championship. I mean, that that's how much that rivalry game means to Ohio State fans, that if you lose to Michigan, that's going to be a topic for the next year no matter what, but he is right that, you know, if one thing goes differently against Georgia, the narrative could be completely different. So, you know, it's not like it's, it's not like Ohio state's far off. I mean, we've talked about it before. I mean, that there are Ohio state fans out there who think Ryan day should be on the hot seat. I do not think either of us are, are at that point at all. I mean, I think, you know, we both recognize that 
you know, Ohio State has continued to be one of the best programs in college football. And they're not that far off from where they need to be. But the, there's still a lot to prove for Ryan Day this year against Michigan. Without a doubt, Dan. And, uh, you know, on the basketball front as well, um, I don't know if, if Gene said anything necessarily uh, earth shattering on, on that front, Dan. But, you know, he, he certainly thinks that the addition of Jamison Battle will be big for Ohio State this year. He kind of echoed some things that, you know, we already knew, which was that, you know, Holtman and Gene Smith were kind of looking at this past year as a a rebuilding year, maybe more than than some fans might have realized or or thought themselves going into last year. Um, and we did ask him, like, you know, about that kind of that top fifteen program benchmark. Um, you know, he he certainly didn't give any proclamation or guarantee that Ohio State's going to be at that you know level, but he said he he's confident that the Buckeyes can be in the hunt uh, for for that group and that you know ultimately you don't have to be a top fifteen program to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, which I kind of still gleaned as being, you know, the benchmark for this team this season, Dan, is just, you know, getting to the big dance, which they obviously failed to do this past year. Yeah, I mean, and I thought it was also interesting to hear him, you know, make the acknowledgement of if we didn't play those transfers as much, if we didn't play those freshmen as much, they might have transferred. So uh, it, it seemed like that was something that had been specifically discussed and talked about is, hey, we we got to play these guys. We We cannot... We cannot slow play these freshmen. We we got to just throw them right in the fire and, and go play them. And I think it's interesting to hear that because I think you you'd probably think that that approach is going to be kept this year as well with guys like Scotty Middleton and Devin Royal and Tyson Chapman. That I think those guys are going to be thrown right in the fire as well. They they might not need as much from the freshmen this year as they did last year, but. I still think that, you know, those freshmen are, are going to play a major role this year, along with the incoming transfers. Certainly, Jamison Battle at the top of that list uh, certainly seems like uh, Gene feels that way. Yeah, Dan, that, that was something that, uh, that you know, uh, Coach Holman had talked about late last season and during the Big Ten tournament run and stuff like that was uh, that, that he and Gene had those specific conversations about like, OK, let's let's get the, the freshmen more involved here because obviously they didn't have a whole lot to win there team wise at the end of the year anyway. So might as well get those guys uh, involved. But Dan, anything else you, you kind of want to touch on from our conversation with Gene Smith uh, or should we move on to some other stuff here? I am guessing that probably a few of our listeners groaned when they heard Gene say that uh, he has not given any consideration to Ohio Stadium going back to uh, natural grass at this time. I, I know there is uh, certainly a segment of a fan base right now who who is upset about the turf and the perceived injury issues related to the turf. Uh, and you know, want to see uh, the shoe go back to grass, but it doesn't sound like there's any plans about it. Gene, Gene did say, you know, things can change. You you never know. So uh, it's not ruling it out in the future, but it certainly doesn't sound like there's any imminent plans uh, for you know switch back to grass. And as he mentioned, a big reason for that is not just football specifically, but you know, he wants Ohio Stadium to be a multi-purpose venue. He wants them to be able to do more than just play football games at that. And, it, and it's hard to argue with that because you think of the amount of money that's been invested into that facility. You know, I, I think he's absolutely right that for Ohio Stadium to just be used for six to eight football games a year uh, is not 
fully taking advantage of this massive space you have in the middle of campus in the middle of a big city. So I, I think, you know, that is very logical. Uh, but I know that they're going to continue. Uh, you know, we know this, if injuries happen in home games at Ohio state this year, that narrative is going to continue to be out there that there's something wrong with the turf, you know, injuries happen in football. So to me, it, it's hard for me to sit here and, and, and necessarily believe, you know, one way or the other, how much of an impact the turf is having on those injuries. I know, you know, when I asked Mickey Marotti about it last week, he didn't, he didn't think that the turf w- was causing those injuries either. And so it's going to continue to be a hot topic of debate. I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of, you know, NFL players come out in, in, in that debate. So I don't think that debate is going anywhere, but it's clear right now, Ohio State's stance on it is we're comfortable for turf. Yeah. And Dan, that, that criticism is obviously going to get louder once the season starts. If, you know, God forbid there are injuries like that on that turf. But Dan, we also got uh, some actual tangible game times in, in networks released as they continue to kind of trickle out here ahead of the 2023 season. Um, Ohio State will open the season obviously at Indiana, but that's a 3.30 kick on CBS, Dan. Um, Ohio State then um, hosting Youngstown State on uh, Big Ten Network at noon, uh, which we're certainly happy that that's not a night game, Dan. And then a 4 p.m. kick on Fox against Western Kentucky. Um, Any big takeaways from you on those three announcements, Dan? Yeah, like you said, I'm just glad the Youngstown State game is not a night game uh, as uh, we had had a little bit of fear about, uh, you know, I think it's interesting too, because as, as mentioned earlier, uh, you know, Michigan is going to play its season opener on Peacock. Penn state is going to play a game against FCS Delaware on Peacock and Michigan state is going to play its marquee non-conference game against Washington on Peacock. So I think the fact that Ohio state did not get a Peacock game, for for Youngstown or Western Youngstown State or Western Kentucky, which I think would have been the two most obvious uh, time slots for a, a Peacock game, is notable. You know, like we talked about before, it, it's going to happen eventually. It's 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 inevitable. Um, it you know it it is going to happen in, in basketball. Though I mean, we've already seen in the past some basketball games on uh, BTN Plus and whatnot. So I don't know that it's as drastic of a change. For, for basketball, but, you know, I do think certainly for Ohio State fans who do not want to make the jump into streaming, it's good news that Ohio State is not going to, is most likely not going to play on Peacock this year, though I, I do think it's probably only a matter of time before Ohio State will have a game on Peacock. Yeah, Dan, I know, I know we we're having some kind of internal dialogue about like, I mean, everything is moving towards, you know, streaming more and more these days. Uh, so from from that perspective, like it's it's not really that crazy to to think that some of these, you know, games such as the Michigan season opener and things that, you know, a lot of the Wolverine fans were not too thrilled about. Um, you know, it's it's not shocking to see that happen. But at the same time, there's there's still such a, you know, a big segment of the, you know, college uh, football viewing population that. You know, it might not be ready for that quite yet, uh, but I think we'll see, you know, some people come around on that front as the years go on. Um, Hey, look, look, one upside of streaming is you can subscribe for one month to watch your game 
and you don't have to keep subscribing. So I'm sure Peacock wouldn't want me saying that, but it's true. I mean, that, <laughs> that is one upside of the streaming thing is uh, it's a lot easier to cancel a Peacock subscription than it is to call your cable company and have to change your change your cable package and all that. So um, there is some flexibility there. At the same time, I, I mean, I, I definitely understand the annoyance from fans because I, I think what we're starting to see is as more and more different things end up across various streaming services. And this is definitely starting to happen with sports. Well, the more streaming services you then have to start subscribing to, well, then whatever cost savings you were getting out of cutting the cord go away. So uh, I, I definitely think that, you know, I definitely uh, understand the annoyance from fans on that topic, but you know, like Gene said himself, it it's happening. Like, I mean, like he said, I mean, some conferences may end up getting to a point here very soon where streaming is basically is their package. So it's it's happening. Um, you know, as much as people may not want it to happen, it is happening. And so it's something that Ohio State fans are going to have to get used to and accept in time, though maybe not until 2024. And Dan, obviously our media day the other day with the assistant coaches, we did not end up getting Ryan Day, which, you know, made his appearance on the first episode of Chris Holtman's new podcast, More Than Coach Speak, uh, all the more interesting for us because we haven't heard from from Day in a little while now. Um, Obviously, he wasn't uh, getting into the nitty gritty of, you know, position battles and and things like that, Dan, or or personnel necessarily, but kind of some interesting responses to some, you know, wider ranging kind of, you know, bigger lens topics on his, you know, philosophies on coaching and, uh, you know, how he came up through the coaching ranks and stuff like that. Anyone that's kind of interested in, in that should definitely go check that out um, anywhere they get their podcasts. But Dan, a couple points uh, maybe to talk about here real quick as we kind of wind things down on the podcast. Um, I certainly think fans were, were, were interested in his comments about um, kind of some, some mistakes he's made in the past and from a, a philosophical standpoint, uh, in terms of coaching, because um, it all it all kind of stemmed from this conversation about tennis and stuff like that, and it somehow winded up into, into Ryan Day saying that you know he at, at points in the past, and he specifically mentioned the Michigan games as an example. He was so wrapped up on kind of winning the the whole game, uh, you know, getting that end result that it, he may he might have lost sight of you know just the fact that you have to win each play in order to you know end up winning the game, and he kind of said that. He, he felt like he made a, a real adjustment on that kind of uh, point going into the Georgia game. And that was kind of part of his whole, we're, we're going to let it all hang out that, that he was kind of saying before that, that Peach Bowl matchup. And he says that he's going to kind of approach games, specifically, you know, bigger games uh, in the Michigan game moving forward with that kind of philosophy uh, this season and beyond. Yeah, I mean, I think anybody who watched the Ohio State-Michigan game for the past two years would say that Ohio State got outcoached in those games and that Michigan was the team that had the better game plan in those games. And so uh, certainly I think there is a need for Ohio State to have more of a hyper-focus on not maybe not as much the this philosophical, we got to beat Michigan, we got to beat Michigan, but more on what do we have to do to beat Michigan? You know, I think that's that's what he's getting at there is, you know, maybe it's been a little bit too much of this just like we got to lay, you know, the cliche stuff that 
fans sometimes love, but maybe it doesn't really mean anything. This whole, you know, we got to get after it. We got to, you know, we got to, <laughs> you know, give maximum effort and all that. But it doesn't really mean anything. Like when you actually get to the game, it comes down to what's the game plan and how well do your guys execute it. And so I think, you know, that's what he's getting at there. But, you know, first and foremost, the game plan's got to be better. Like they got to, they've got to do a better job of, dialing down into what exactly do we need to do to beat Michigan and then emphasize executing those things in practice as you get ready for the game. Cause, cause the reality is for Ohio state is most games during the year, they can just win on talent alone. Mo- most games during the year, Ohio state does not need to have some picture perfect game plan in order to win the game. But when you get to those really big games at the end of the year, it does come down to game plan. It does come down to who has the better game plan and who can execute it better. And, and clearly that has not been the case at Ohio State's last two games against Michigan. Dan, little surprise that Ryan Day on the same podcast said that, you know, NIL in the transfer portal are basically the two most difficult uh, aspects of his job right now. And uh, it was kind of interesting. He specifically got into the involvement and role that kind of agents play uh, in, in certain aspects of that. And how that's kind of made things uh, even more difficult for them. Uh, any anything that stood out to you about those comments, Dan, or anything surprising? When Gene Gene made that comment is today as well about how you know the involvement of agents ha- ha- has gotten into this thing. So again, I mean, I think you know it, it's clear that you know the, the powers that be at Ohio State want to see more regulation on NIL. They they don't want this wild wild west environment as as Gene always calls it but you know they, they, they've had to be able to adapt uh and so you know again i i think ohio state has done a good job adapting but i'm not surprised to hear him say that's the most difficult part of his job because i mean i think nowadays in college football that is a major headache for college football coaches it's something they didn't have to deal with five years ago which makes it even more of a headache you know you've always had to deal with game planning and going out there and winning football games. But five years ago, you didn't have to deal with NIL and the transfer portal. And so I think that, you know, a lot of times people don't like change. These are two big changes that have happened in college football. And I even just think back to, you know, I remember hearing Ryan Day one or Urban Meyer talk about it one year at Big Ten Media Days about how, you know, he estimated that he spends 75% of his job time recruiting. I mean, he spends more time recruiting than he does on actual football. And I think now you take that 75% and it's not just recruiting high school players. Now it's managing the transfer portal and even re-recruiting your own players with NIL having an involvement in that. And so I think the amount of things other than just actual football that a head coach has to deal with now has, has only gotten bigger. And that probably goes even back to what we were just talking about. If you have to deal with all this stuff all year long, but at the same time, you've then got to be able to dial back in on what do we need to do to beat Michigan? What do we need to do in those big games to win a national championship? And Dan, you know, Ryan Day also kind of talked more about what I feel like is kind of just the the ongoing Ryan Day's story in general in terms of his, you know, head coaching career, which is of course that, you know, he inherited the program in a really stable place uh, in, in most regards for, from uh, Urban Meyer. Uh, but at the same time, he's, he's having to learn how to 
be his own coach and, and his own man in that role. And, and, you know, over time he's come to realize that there's, there's certain things about kind of the, the infrastructure that, that Urban Meyer had that maybe doesn't suit him or doesn't work for him. And those are things he's had to change, but then at the same time, keeping some of the things that are kind of the backbones of the program that have been successful for so long. Uh, I think we, we've all been able to kind of see some of that unfold Dan, the last few years, especially with all the, uh, you know, assisted defensive, you know, coaching overhaul and, and assistant coaching hires and stuff like that. Um, and, and Ryan Day said specifically that, you know, Ohio State's become more to his managerial style in recent years, uh, but that there's still obviously uh, plenty of carryover from kind of the, the Urban Meyer system as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been obvious from day one that Ryan Day has a different personality than Urban Meyer. And so there's all there are always going to be things that, Herb, that Ryan Day does in a different way than Urban Meyer did them. And I think in some ways, those are good things. Like, I personally wonder, like, you know, what, you know, you, 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 you hear the stories about Urban, you know, being kind of more of that drill sergeant type of coach, you know, creating this, you know, very intense culture inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. And I think when you think about the things we were just talking about that have proliferated in college football since Urban left at the end of 2018, you know, obviously NIL was not a part of that. And obviously the transfer portal has gotten so much bigger. Since then, I, I personally believe that if Urban Meyer was still the head coach at Ohio State, that we would see more transfer attrition than we've seen under Ryan Day. Because I think Ryan Day has created this more familial-like atmosphere that players want to be a part of and stay a part of. And I think Urban's atmosphere you know, created more of a culture of fear, but I think you would have seen more guys be inclined to maybe leave and look for something else. At the same time, Urban Meyer went seven and zero against Michigan. So, it, it, it to say, well, is this better or worse? You know, at the end of the day, that's going to be determined by results, right? And so, I think when some people hear those comments, they probably go, "Is this a good thing for Ohio State that he's kind of doing it in a different way?" Is maybe you know, it is, you know, you know, people, you know, I'm not a big fan of the whole, you know, the team's too soft and stuff like that, but you know, there's, you know, there's people out there who have that idea. And so, you know, I think, you know, I think Ryan day has done a lot of good in terms of the direction he's taken the program, but he now has to back it up with results. You know, you, you, you have to beat Michigan. You have to go win that national championship, but you do that. Nobody's going to doubt what you're doing. But I think until you do that, then there's going to be questions of, okay. I mean, I think everybody agrees. Like Ryan day is a nice guy. Like everybody agrees. Like Ryan day cares about his players and does a lot of good for his players, but is his coaching style leading to the results that Ohio state expects on the football field? I mean, he's won the vast majority of games he's coached, but because the standard at Ohio State is so high, you can still make an argument that he has underachieved as Ohio State coach. And the reason why is because of what he inherited. The program he inherited was in a much better place, specifically on the field, than what Urban Meyer inherited, than what Jim Tressel inherited. So he is, he, you know, 
the expectations from day one have been sky high for Ryan Day. And for in many regards, he has met those expectations, but he, he you know, you've got those two things kind of looming over you right now of you got to beat Michigan and the expectation in Ohio State is to win a national championship. And so I think ultimately you you get you get judged on results fair or not and so you know people want to see you know these philosophical changes you may be making in the program at the end of the day most ohio state fans are going to judge him based on the wins and losses at the end of the day well dan uh, we had some real good stuff on the podcast this week can't wait for everybody to hear our conversation with gene smith and you know we've got the recruiting camps coming up too dan so i'm sure we'll we'll get into that once those start rolling here in the next couple of weeks Yep. Thanks for joining us, everybody. And we'll talk to you again next week.